Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And that leads us to the third and final question. Why are peacemakers called sons of God? When Jesus said that peacemakers shall be called the sons of God, he simply meant that God is the one who calls them said they shall be called. It is God who calls them sons of God because God calls those who make peace his sons because as children of God, we're just like our father. He himself is a peacemaker. A son ought to reflect the character of his father. Like father, like son. We've all heard that one before. And more often than not, it rings true in the world around us. So why shouldn't it be true in the children of God? Hello and welcome again to Verse by Verse, a program centered on the practical teaching and explanation of God's Word. Our teacher is Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Right now we are following Pastor Steve through a series of messages on the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. Today we will be hearing some finishing thoughts about what it means to be a peacemaker. Let's join Pastor Steve. So the first thing that peacemakers do in evangelizing the lost is proclaim the gospel, even at the risk of stirring up conflict over the truth. There's a second thing that peacemakers do in making peace, and it's one that's often overlooked. We are to pray for the lost to be saved. We're to pray for them. In addition to promoting peace by sharing the gospel, we've often neglected the glorious truth that that God responds to saving people by means of our prayers. Yes, God is sovereign. He'll save whomever he wants, but we're part of the process. He's sovereignly chosen to, to use us as we share the gospel, but as we pray for people to be saved. Just as the psalmist commanded the Jewish people in the Old Testament, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so God commands us, today to pray for the unsaved to experience peace with him. I remember years ago, a a woman in this church came to me and questioned whether we should ever pray for the lost. And just based on how she she, uh, spoke to me, I gathered that she didn't believe we should pray for the lost. And she almost challenged me, well, well, can you find any scripture that, that says anywhere we're to pray for the lost? Absolutely, you can. Paul prayed in Romans 10, 1, speaking of Israel, he said this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. The Apostle Paul prayed for Jewish people to be saved and for others as well. And I would add, he also commanded us to pray for the lost. We are definitely told to pray for them. Let me show you this, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, you have to understand the background of Timothy in the sense that these people had some kind of attitude of elitism. There were false teachers here who, who really concentrated on, on just being elitists, and they weren't interested in a world of lost people. 
Paul is bringing them back to that. And he says in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Now, by all, Paul doesn't mean every single person in the world. He just means all classes of people, people from every nation, all kinds of people, Greeks and Romans and and Jewish people and Gentile. And then he he also says, verse 2, when he says all, he means for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We're not to be those who who defy the government and stir up strife. We're to be those who pray for our national leaders and, and civil leaders to be saved. That's the context here. Because notice, he says in verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God may not have decreed that all men be saved, but it is his heart's desire. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. So we are to pray for the salvation of all kinds of people. We are to do that. That's what a peacemaker does. If you desire to see people come to know Christ, and every believer has that desire, or it would be indicative that they've never been saved, then we must pray for them to be saved. In your in your daily time of prayer with the Lord, it ought, ought to include that you're praying for some people to be saved. You're praying uh, around the globe of missions and missionaries for some people to be saved. One Bible teacher put it this way, prayer is a powerful weapon in the hands of God's peacemakers. Now, up until this point, our focus has been on the role of, of a peacemaker in being uh, those who lead the unsaved to having peace with God. However, as we said before, a peacemaker is also one who helps Christians to be at peace with others. And we have to be realistic. Reality is, is that Christians do have disputes with one another. In fact, many times we have disputes with one another, more times than we should. And if you see that happening in the lives of two Christians, the Bible says that you are personally to get involved by helping them to make peace. If they can't do it on their own, you step in. You step in. Or if you are personally uh, involved in a dispute with another person, you resolve that. You either help people to resolve it if they're not going to do it on their own, or you, if you're involved in it yourself, you have to resolve this this conflict. Now, where do we see this? Let me show you. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippians, recognized that there was some disunity there. There were some problems. There were two ladies who had a conflict. And Paul writes to them in verse 2, Philippians 4, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Euodia and Syntyche were the names of two ladies in that church. And then notice what he does. He calls upon a friend to help out, to get involved. He says in verse 3, indeed, true companion. He calls him true companion in the Greek, whatever the Greek word is, may be his proper name. But indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clemens, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's calling upon true companion to help these two prominent women in the church to resolve their conflict. They obviously couldn't do it themselves. They should have. So you get involved. That's precisely what a peacemaker does. It's not a nosy person who has to get involved. He's one who wants to bring about peace. He helps God's people to be at peace with one another. 
That's precisely what he does. So how do we, how do, we do this on that level? How do we promote peace amongst believers? Very simple. We tell them, as we tell the unsaved, to repent of their sin. Repent of their sin and start behaving in a way that leads to peace with others. See, the issue is always sin. Always sin. That's always the enemy of peace with the unsaved as well as with the saved. When sin reigns, and it, and it reigns at times, not all the time, but it reigns at times in, an un, in a believer's life, there can be no peace. There can be no peace. So if we're going to be peacemakers, we've got to get to the source of these conflicts, and that's always sin. Jesus addressed this very issue. This is not a secret. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, and just a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, he he spoke about this. Verse 23 of Matthew 5. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now Jesus, notice, he associated reconciliation with a recognition that you have sinned against someone else. That's precisely what he meant by the expression, your brother has something against you. He says, look, in the context of the Jewish temple, which was still standing then, you come and you bring an animal sacrifice to, to die on behalf of, of your sin. And just as you are in the process of presenting that, that sacrifice at the altar, God brings it to your mind. You remember you have sinned against your brother. You've done something. You've sinned against him. You don't have any kind of reconciliation now until you leave what you're doing. You leave it there, even if it's worship, and go to your brother. Get up, go. The implication is that you are going because you're asking him to forgive you. You're asking him to forgive you of your sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Even if you're, even if you're involved in worship and there you remember that your brother is something against you, get up and go to him and be reconciled to him. And the only way to be reconciled is to address the sin issue. You have to deal with your sin. Now, let me be very practical here. That means that when you go and speak to somebody you've sinned against, you must never tone down your sin so that you're really not admitting that you've sinned. And and folks, we have all kinds of clever ways of doing this. We say, look, um, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. That's not asking forgiveness. You know what that is? That's saying, I'm sorry because you're too sensitive. It's really saying, you're the problem, not me. I'm sorry if you couldn't handle what I said to you and you overreacted. That's not going to resolve anything. That's not the issue. If you have sinned against somebody, don't put it on them. They may indeed be sensitive, but that's not the issue. So you don't say, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. Nor do you say, if I've offended you, I apologize. That means, let me translate it for you. I don't think I've offended you. I don't think I've done anything wrong, but you think I have, so sorry. The reason there's a silence here is because you've done that. That's why it's very quiet here. You've done that. Listen, those statements don't bring about peace, and that's why some of these issues have never been resolved. They don't bring about peace. They don't bring about reconciliation. 
They bring further separation. And, and you feel, well, I've done my job. No, you haven't done your job. Your job, if you truly have sinned against someone, is to go to them and say, I have sinned against you. And name what that sin is. Will you please forgive me? We use biblical language. The Bible is clothed in certain language for a reason. You don't want to tone it down. Because that doesn't reconcile anybody. Remember, the root cause of this estrangement, this war, is sin. So deal with your sin. But what if you're the one who has been sinned against? You didn't sin against somebody, but you've been sinned against. Well, that's found in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, is a passage about church discipline. But the first step so that it doesn't have to go to discipline, public discipline, is found in verse 15. Jesus said, if your brother sins... And it could be that the sin is against you, or it could be that you just see some some unrepentant sin in his life. If your brother sins, you're to go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, Jesus said, you've won your brother. What does he mean to win your brother? Well, he's already a believer, uh, uh, according to this, and that's who you discipline church in church setting a believer you wouldn't discipline an unbeliever but to win your brother means that by confronting him with his sin you've helped him repent and therefore you have restored him to fellowship with god as well as fellowship with yourself you've won him back the war is over conflict is resolved but it only will be resolved when you address his or her sin the implication is that they've repented and they've asked you to forgive them Now, I understand that confronting someone about their sin is an awkward thing to do. It's an uncomfortable thing to do. And nobody rejoices when they have to do this. It often leads to more turmoil than anything else. People tend to resent it. They tend to be defensive. They sometimes have to be disciplined before the entire church body. And that is very awkward. That stirs up all kinds of trouble, perhaps even controversy. That's a rough thing to do. But that doesn't mean that we don't do it just because it's rough. There are a lot of things that we're called to do because we're disciples of Christ that are not easy to do. But we're, we're peacemakers, and that's what a peacemaker does. Listen, the Bible, let me reiterate this again. The Bible never teaches peace at any price. As I said before, that's called appeasement, not peace. We are never to seek peace at the expense of truth. We must never compromise the truth of Scripture in order to avoid causing trouble. We never are to look at somebody and say, you know, if I go to them and speak about this, then that'll cause more problems. So it causes more problems. So it leads to hostility. Your job and my job, not to think ahead, what might the consequences be? The moment you do that, you're in bondage to circumstances. You become a pragmatist. A pragmatist does what he does if it's practical and works. That's not, what we, that's not what we live by. We're not pragmatists. We live in submission to the authority of Scripture. If Jesus said to do this, then we do it. And as I said, the moment you jump ahead and think, well, this might result in this way, you're, you're in bondage to circumstances. You have put yourself under a type of bondage. If addressing someone's sin and standing for righteousness leads to hostility, then we have to accept those consequences because that's what the Bible commands us to do. In in the words of John MacArthur, do what's right and let the chips fall where they may. 
That's the only consideration we have. Is this what scripture says? We do it. If it leads to trouble, God will give us grace. But having said that, we want to also understand that, that being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we always succeed at achieving peace. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that at least we make an effort to bring about peace. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work, but we're to do it anyway. Paul said in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Did you get that? Paul said, if possible, meaning that's not always possible, especially when you're dealing with the unsaved, because peace is dependent upon the attitude and response of others. And sometimes they don't respond the right way. That's just out of our control. That's not our business. Our business is to, what Paul said, do what you can. I remember speaking to an aunt or an aunt, if you'd like, years ago, and I said something that was rather insensitive to her, and um, sometime later it came to my mind that uh, I, I have offended her. So I called her. I called her up, and I asked her to forgive me. You know what she said? I'll think about it. <laughs> and she never did get back to me. <laughs> and so you know what? I wasn't able to bring about peace, but I, I made an effort to do it. I made an effort. And that's what Paul's saying. If possible, as far as it depends on you, do your job. We can't change their hearts. Now, having said that, we now understand somewhat what it means to be a peacemaker. We pray for the lost. We share the gospel of peace with them. We do everything in our power to resolve conflicts by addressing our sins against others and by confronting the sin we see in others. And like Paul, if we see believers who are at war with each other, it is our responsibility to get involved. If, if they're not solving it themselves, we want them to be reconciled to each other. That's what a peacemaker does. Jesus said that those who do those things are citizens of his kingdom. But more than being a citizen of his kingdom, notice the last phrase of the beatitude. Jesus said they shall be called the sons of God. And that leads us to the third and final question. Why are peacemakers called sons of God? When Jesus said that peacemakers shall be called the sons of God, he simply meant, this is not hard to grasp, he simply meant that God is the one who calls them. He said they shall be called, it is God who calls them sons of God, because God calls those who make peace his sons, because as children of God, we're just like our father. He himself is a peacemaker. A son ought to reflect the character of his father. That's what a son does. He's made in the likeness and image of his father. That's what Christ is saying about us. But it's important, to, before we emphasize that, it's important to understand that Jesus isn't saying that making peace makes you a son of God. Faith in Christ is what makes you a son or a child of God. But someone who is a son, as I said, ought to reflect his father's character, and that's what peacemakers do. God, by his very nature, is the one who makes peace. In fact, so often in the Bible, he's called the God of peace. And remember what Isaiah called Jesus, the prince of peace. If God has saved you, then he's transformed your character so that you have been changed from someone who was once quarrelsome, contentious, pugnacious. I got that word in. Pugnacious. Now you've been changed into one who is a peacemaker. 
God has changed your character to be like, like him. And granted, that, that doesn't mean that we're perfect in making peace. We struggle, we fail. But even in our struggles and failures, peacemaking is a part of our character to some degree, to some measure. That's the mark of being a believer. However, if your life is, is marked by constant quarrels, I mean constant quarrels with others, constant troublemaking, ongoing conflicts that never get resolved, then there's a good reason to question whether you are really a child of God because God's children resemble him in that they are peacemakers. Let's bow for prayer. As we are quiet before the Lord, don't don't think we're just going to rush out of here. You, You have to be faced with truth and what are you going to do about this? First thing to consider is the question, have you made peace with God? Have you made peace with God? Christ's death dealt with the great enemy of peace, sin. Already been dealt with. Question is, have you trusted him as your sin bearer so that you can be at peace with him? If not, I I urge you to do that. I urge you to come to him. Repent of your sin. No matter how painful that is, forsake your sin and turn to him as you trust him as your savior. Secondly, if you are a peacemaker, then the question that we have to to, uh, ask and answer is what kind of a peacemaker are you? Do you share the gospel with others? Do you share in in your own world? It may be in your own quiet way. It doesn't mean that we're not talking about a style of evangelism, but we're talking that do you share the gospel? That's what a peacemaker does. Do you tell others how to have peace with God? Do you pray for the lost? It's easy to forget that. Do you pray for the lost? You must. In your time alone with the Lord, begin to to include that. Do you resolve your personal conflicts with other people? Some Christians don't seem to do that. Some people always seem to be at war with others. They're hanging up on them on the phone. They never never go back to them. They they feel like if they just avoid them, it'll be all right. No, that's that's not all right. That's not all right. I'll just sit on the other side of the church. I don't have to see them. I won't go to a Sunday school class where they are. I'll avoid them. That's not peace. Peace, remember, is someone who was once your enemy is now your friend. They may not be your best friend. They, you, you may still disagree with them, but you're not disagreeable. You resolve your conflicts. There ought not to be another believer in this world that you couldn't sit down with and fellowship even if you see some things differently. And do you, uh, do you help other Christians to resolve their conflicts? If you see some, some Christians who it's been a while and they're not getting it done, peacemakers step in and they help. In a world of troublemakers, God's children can be seen as the ones who reflect their father's likeness in being peacemakers. That is what this beatitude is about. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for this beatitude, so many wonderful truths, Lord. And it it really hits us where we are because we all struggle with other people. And we've all had conflicts with other people, Lord, but now we know what to do. Help us to never tone down our own sin, to never avoid with, with words and terminology 
facing our own sin, shifting the blame to others, justifying, rationalizing our sin. Lord, may we be humble enough to deal with our sin because the only thing that keeps us from dealing with sin is pride. So, Father, I pray that for every one of us, including myself, help us to implement these truths in our lives. Help us, Lord, to have a burden and more than a burden to do something about it, to share the gospel with others, to pray for the lost that, uh, that they may know you as the God of peace. Lord, may we rec- recognize that we are the only people on this entire planet who can accurately tell others how to be at peace with you. Religion can't do it. Good works can't do it. Only the message of reconciliation. Thank you. We are your ambassadors. Help us to be good ambassadors. And for those, Lord, who don't know you, I ask you to open their hearts so that they'll repent of their sin and trust the Savior pray this in his precious name. Amen. When Jesus was here on the earth, he told his disciples that if they had love for one another, then all men would know that they were his disciples. In a similar fashion, being a true peacemaker identifies us as those who have been transformed by God and adopted as his sons. It is not what we do that changes us, but rather it displays who we are in our nature. Because we have God's life within us, we can be a reflection of His glory and His character. Thank you for joining us today. If you have been enjoying these messages from Christ's Sermon on the Mount, please call us and let us know. You can reach us at 727-239-0306. We would love to hear from you.